Time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News, working from home today. We got him on the phone. Hey, Keith. Happy snow day. I'm snowed in. You're snowed in. I ran in. Well, you couldn't run in? You ran in a little while ago. It's really been coming down since then. Oh, I know you're stuck in the. You're in the basement there. You have no windows. It's much oh. deeper than it was. What's it like? What's it like out there in Victoria? It's coming down pretty heavy. I think it's uh, well more yeah. than five centimeters, and um, a lot of. Uh, I haven't ventured on the road. I don't intend to drive today, but no. Uh, I'll pull up. Uh, and I advise anyone: if you don't have snow tires, do not get in your car. You know, no. Just give it up. Don't uh, do it. Don't do it. I, I took a look at, like you did. I took a look at the tires on our family vehicle the other day, and I was like, "Whoa, these do not look good." I am not risking this today, so I ran in today. Let's talk a little bit, of, Keith, about the snow preparation here. Now, we've heard a lot from local municipalities here the last few days. We knew this was coming. The, the weather forecasts here were very, very accurate. Mark Madriga just nailed this forecast here. We knew it was coming. We heard in Surrey they've been dumping just tons of salt and brine on the roads. Rob Fleming, the provincial transportation minister, has said they were ready to keep major commuter routes open, remove any trucks or vehicles that get stuck. Let's have a listen here. You'll hear Rob Fleming, the transportation minister, also a Global News reporter Elisa Tebow. Let's listen. Being there before the events occur, uh, that's a critical change we made as government. Despite the amount of preparation, many people are still convinced things will go sideways. I'm from Winnipeg. I know all about cold, snowy winter. Out here, they haven't got a clue. Yeah, okay, these guys from Winnipeg were always sort of shaming us. We don't know how to drive in this stuff. I mean... There's a lot of hills. I don't know how many hills there are in Winnipeg, people sliding up and down icy hills there. But what do you what do you think about that argument that people in Vancouver don't know how to drive in this stuff? I think there's some validity to that. Uh, we, you know, this is causes a bit of mayhem because it happens so rarely. Yeah. Um, but again, I go back to the point. Every, every time this happens, I go back to there has to be some personal responsibility here. You know, the governments and crews can only do so much. But, it, you know, if you're just an ignorant driver with really bad tires, bald tires that are good in the summer and next to useless and even dangerous in these conditions, you shouldn't be on the road. And unfortunately, you know, crews can't keep up fast enough with when you've got a heavy snowdrop like's happening right now. You can clear a road and it can be it can be full again very quickly. And all it takes is one bad driver. You just heard on the newscast, you know, there's Patella Bridge is a problem. Um, uh, there's a vehicle that's stuck there or had some sort of accident, likely because it's either bad driving or bad equipment. Uh, People make wrong decisions in these conditions, and they go on the road when they shouldn't be doing it. So you can blame the governments only so far, uh, I think, when it comes to snow prep. I think there's a lot of individual responsibility that comes into play here. And unfortunately, a lot of people just gamble when they shouldn't be gambling on something like this. Yeah, and that includes truck drivers, by the way. I mean, we've been talking a lot about these continuing truck overpass collisions. It was just the dumbest trend and story we've ever seen. And then we hear this morning about a lot of trucks getting stuck out there, maybe some of them not properly prepared. Well, I you know, also wonder, though, if truck drivers are being pressured to get out there by their employers. Yeah. That they've got to make these deliveries. Um and some people, you know, they have to be out there uh, for whatever purpose. But really, if you don't have to drive in on a day like today, don't drive, particularly if you don't have the proper equipment, i.e. snow tires.
Let's talk about some of the other headlines in the news here, Keith. And the Surrey police fight is the eternal saga here. It just does not go away. The latest here is the city of Surrey refusing to pay 10 new police officers hired by the Surrey Police Service. Of course, Brenda Locke, the Surrey mayor, wants to keep the RCMP. So, wow, this is really getting pretty nasty here. Now, the city saying, okay, if, if this new police service keeps hiring new recruits, we're just not going to pay them. Listen to David Eby here, the premier, commenting on this yesterday. He really goes after Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke here. Having the mayor pay consultants, high-priced consultants, having her pay advertising firms for leaflets and advertisements, having her pay lawyers uh, to bring a court challenge against the province, but not paying the police. Uh, I, I cannot see any justification for it. Keith, your thoughts? I haven't heard a premier go after a mayor like that uh, in quite some time, which I think reveals the frustration uh, E.B. and his uh, government has over Locke's um, performance here. So yesterday was a dueling news release day. You had Brenda Locke put out a news release uh, denouncing Surrey Police Services for being over budget. Then you had the Surrey Police Services Police Union put out a news release call, saying that Brenda Locke is engaged in a so-called shell game, actual shell game, um, by misleading everyone over the state of the Surrey Police Service budget. But then we got our hands on a a letter from the Surrey Police Board when it still existed back in September to Brenda Locke and, and her council saying they were putting out misleading information about the budget regarding Surrey Police Service. So it's all headed going coming to a head. I expect the province to reveal in the coming week or two its plan to ensure that Surrey Police Service will continue to hire people and they will continue to be paid. The Director of Police Services in the province, Glenn Lewis, has the trump card here. He can put together a budget for Surrey Police Services and Surrey has to pay it. And there's nothing Brenda mm. Locke can do about that. Again, okay, but hasn't the court. Okay, you know, the province does appear to hold the hammer here, but I've been listening closely to EB and also Mike Farnworth, the Solicitor General, and they keep saying we're putting the hammer down. We've told these people this debate is over. Uh, the RCMP are, are going away, and this new Surrey Police Service will be the police force in the city of Surrey. It's over. It's done. We've decided. So why does it keep going? I mean, this, this Surrey mayor and, her, and the majority she has in that council just not going along with it, right? Yeah, no, and it, it comes down to the, I think, the paychecks. Uh, right now, the Surrey Police Union is covering the pay for those 10 officers. Uh, one option wow. I've heard is that the government would pay the the, um, the salaries of these police officers and then bill Surrey for, oh. those, for that money. And basically, they would become... Uh, I'm basically owing the, the government X amount of dollars, and the government would take three to court potentially, or withhold oh. other money. Don't forget the uh, the province also has 130 million dollars on the table over five 150 million over five years for Surrey. Um, there's also 82 million dollars Surrey sitting on that they put aside for the transition back to the RCMP. Well, that's not happening now, so that 80 million dollars is free, and the government potentially can withdraw that $90 million it gave Surrey as part of that billion-dollar infrastructure fund that was spread around the entire province. The government might be able to claw that back as well. So this is still going to be a nasty Ooh. fight. shows no signs of ending, but it looks, from my perspective, that the provincial government's got more of a hammer here than Brenda Locke does. Okay, poor old Surrey taxpayers stuck in the middle of this whole this whole mess here. Let's talk about the big announcement here made by Premier David Eby here yesterday to a $36 billion investment over the next 10 years. Yeah. 
to expand BC's uh, electricity system and our power grid. We've talked a lot about this recently, including the recent cold snap that we saw. Uh, BC Hydro has been patting itself in the back, saying we got through the cold snap here, no problem. EB, though, saying, boy, we need to invest a ton of money here in expanding our power grid. Let's listen to EB yesterday. Or this is actually EB uh, uh, very grateful to Hydro here during the cold snap. Let's listen. We got that I'm so clip, grateful, Tim. Yeah. Uh, to the team at BC Hydro uh, for their careful work of managing our power supply so that we were able to respond in a moment of crisis. Okay, we now, we now find out that the reason the Hydro was able to get through this largely was because they had imported power earlier and had it in reserves, right? But what do you think about what's going on yeah. here? Well, it, it, last night's announcement in Prince George by David Eby was pretty significant. So it was Hydro's existing 10-year capital plan was $24 billion. That's now been increased by 50% to $36 billion. So that's going to build a new transmission line from Prince George to Terrace. It's going to build a whole bunch of new uh, facilities and and, uh, improvements in Metro Vancouver. Basically, the need for electricity is going to increase significantly over the next few years as as I'll try to wean off fossil fuels. And that includes uh, commercial enterprises as well, not just homes, but mills, factories, uh, you name it, all switching to electricity, which means we need a heck of a lot more electricity. And right now we, we forecast not to have as much. So hydro is going to be making their dams more efficient. They're going to be creating more facilities. There's probably going to be there's going to be a power call from hydro later this spring, which will probably involve uh, a lot of wind power projects that are going to be part of this massive capitalization. So this is a pretty expensive plan, but it's, you could argue it's necessary as we have to ramp up more and more electricity. In terms of importing power, I see Josie Osborne, the energy minister on Twitter uh, yesterday, pointed out that uh, seven, of the, seven of the last 10 or 12 years, hydro has been a net importer. So import, being a net importer is not a new situation for hydro. It does bring in power as a surplus to store uh, in, in exactly yeah. like what we saw on Friday and, it, and able to, to use that. The problem Hydro's got, though, is the meeting rising electricity demands, not just in, in cold snaps, but on a 24-7 basis as we go through the entire year, whether it's a heat dome when you've got ramped up um, air conditioner use or a cold snap when people turn yeah. the heat on and and, um, uh, and keep the lights on longer. And, you know, also, don't forget, Fortis plays a big role in this as well. I mean, they actually were using more megawatts than Hydro was on, on that Friday as they heat more homes, way more homes than Hydro does. And it'll be interesting what we see as we ramp up BC Hydro's electrical use, whether anything happens to the natural gas situation, which is by far preferable to any people when well, it comes to how they heat their homes. Well, I think it's a great point. We just saw the BC Utilities Commission turn down an, an expanded natural yep. gas pipeline by Fortis in the Okanagan, right? So, yep. You know, so yeah, that's going to continue. Nanimo, City of Nanaimo wants to get rid of all natural gas. Um, wow. You've got, it's, it's going to be interesting because the reality is there's, I think, 900,000 Fortis customers. Uh, that's a lot of people to say you can't heat your homes that way anymore. It's Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry is my guest. Let's go to your phone calls. Anthony in Coquitlam. Hi, Anthony. Go ahead. Hi. In Coquitlam here, we have a lot of steep hills. And Austin, Marmont, and um, Rochester on Thursday and this morning are extremely slippery. And you see people spinning out all and going up the hill. They're just abandoning their cars. So what I'm looking at here is why does ICBC cover the collision on your vehicle. I can see ICB fixing other vehicles if you get into an accident in the snow, but why should we be fixing people's cars if they don't have snow tires or chains? 
You mean if it's like an it's an at fault accident? Yeah, it, if that? you cause the accident, if you're out of control, you slide, you hit somebody. Why yeah. should we be fixing your car? I mean, I can fix, I can see fixing other cars that you slid into, but there has to be a penalty for people that that are taking a chance. And yeah. if you do take the chance, then you should be paying for it because you know you should be, you either buy snow tires or don't go on the road. Anthony, thank you for the call. Well, Keith, we've got no fault insurance here in BC, but your thoughts? Yeah, well, it goes back to the personal responsibility aspect of this. I mean, yeah. should it makes a very good point. I mean, should should someone be totally free to go out there and act irresponsibly with no consequences because you go out with bald tires yeah. at a time when that's literally a dangerous thing to do? Yeah. Um, I think there is a personal responsibility that people ignore. Malcolm in North Van. Hi, Malcolm. Go ahead. Yeah, on this topic of natural gas and electricity, I've got a couple of friends in the restaurant business, and one guy moved into a building that was completely electric, no natural gas allowed, and he's been monitoring his costs based on, you know, this, this style of restaurants that he runs or they run, and he's shown that electricity costs him at least 25 30% more because, of course, you know when you go into a restaurant with a, you know, gas fire, uh, gas grill, crank it up, boom, gun, and if you're not using it, you just turn it down to nothing. With electricity, you don't have that. You have to build it up. So I'm, my suggestion is to get people, someone on from the restaurant industry to talk about what it's, what it's going to cause them in the long run. Okay, that's really a great show, you guys. Thank you for thank you for the call. You know, it's interesting, that's Keith. Interesting we continue to restaurants. Go ahead. Go ahead, yeah, Keith. It's interesting. Yeah, restaurant use is, is probably different than residential use. Um, yeah. When it comes to electricity, so that caller may have a very valid point though. Whether it is indeed more expensive uh, to go the electrical route as a restaurant, again, as a as a commercial enterprise, um, which has different energy requirements than a residential home, there's, yeah. the price is probably different. Wayne in Richmond. Hi, Wayne. Go ahead. Hi, uh, Mike. Great show. Uh, Mike, I don't see where uh, BC is going to be able to import electricity going forward. I mean, California is in rolling blackouts. Puget Sound the other day, temperature got down to 15. They're telling people cut back because we don't have enough electricity. Site C, once we have 1.7 million EVs on the road, that takes out Site C based on what you've been saying on your program. Site C supports 1.7 million vehicles. So we don't have enough electricity and no. uh, there's no dams being built. And I think based on Site C, it's at least 12 years to build a dam. So anybody who thinks we don't need natural gas is smoking really good stuff. And I guess Evie's got that over in Victoria. Okay. Uh, Keith, you know, your thoughts? You point out what's going on in the States right now. Yeah. California has a terrible infrastructure uh, situation when it comes to electricity. Very outdated. Rolling blackouts. Right now, Portland and Oregon is in a crisis. Uh, without power for for some time. There have been problems in Washington State. We do import our power from Washington State and some from California. And again, mostly for storage purposes. But uh, the call is right. I mean, Site C alone does not answer uh, the energy requirements going forward, electricity requirements. So that's why there's going to be, I think, a massive number of wind farms, particularly in the northeast, and some solar um, energy producers as well. I don't think there's going to be any more dams.